Good. I can hear you. That's a start. Chargers linebacker Dan Henley, and you're tuning in with Chargers Unleashed. Welcome to another edition of Chargers Unleashed. Jake Ebner and Dan Wolkenstein here with you from the LA Football Network. If this is your first time tuning in the show, make sure to hit that like and subscribe button on YouTube. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Dan Wolkenstein, it is an early Saturday morning. I assume by now, especially after the night that you had last night, you're on your one and a half cup of coffee. Yep. I got a big one. I got a tall boy, if you will, uh, today and yesterday. Let's put it that way. Uh, Had some fun with some family and friends yesterday. Uh, Much, much needed. Welcome to Charges Unleashed live and in color for folks in the chat who seem to already know what they're doing here. Love it. For folks who have not done Charged Unleashed Live, this is for you, with you. If you have topics or questions, please put them in the chat. We'll do our best to kind of go through them, incorporate into the conversation as we go. We've got a few kind of high-level topics to kind of flow through this one today. Big news yesterday about the salary cap increase and the ramifications that'll have on the team. We'll talk about the coordinator conversations that we heard from some of the beat reporters on and also, of course, we got to talk about the combine and the draft. But first, Jake, my friends, how are you? Fantastic. You know, you're wanting to talk about me grabbing my caffeine in the morning. It is. So, I, I, I originally I wasn't going to do it, but then when you made the announcement on <laughs> out there saying like, in Jake's case, he's going to be bringing energy drink. I was like, well, I have to live up to it now in terms of my caffeine. So. Yeah, I'm still running on fumes as it relates to sleep, but I'm awake. I'm ready to go. We got a lot of news to get into, as Dan mentioned. Uh, some key topics that we want to cover, but also this show is for you guys, by you guys. So whatever questions you guys may have, let's filter them into the chat as well so we can get into all these topics. We've got the Combine next week, Dan, that we are super excited for. Can't wait for that to get started. Next week's going to be a big week, so make sure that you all are here tuning in for that because we're really excited to bring some of that news to you dan where do you want to start as it relates to the topics to kick kick off the show today we got a lot honestly let's go through some of these comments um to kind of get the mood going and just gravy says good morning and bolts up rise and bolts up i'm gonna flow through this because honestly my favorite part of this is just seeing all of the interactions with the listeners uh apparently we had a 
Chargers fan who tricked a Raiders streamer into saying family trust respect on their own stream, which shout out to you. Appreciate that. Uh, Joseph <laughs> Demartini, good morning. What's up, Charger family? Says Nick. Uh, Laos de Bruin thought that Bosa clip was a parody. We don't have eating comps in Ireland. Uh, he's referring to the pistachio eating contest going on between him and Joey Chestnut. Should be Joey Pistachio at this point. Uh, Keith says, good morning. A whole bunch of bolt up. Look. Thomas Costello. Okay, guys. Short of Jake waiting was great. I don't know what that means. Short of Jake waiting was great. Short of Jake waiting. Man, I knew I was like a minute or two late to the show. Is that what we're referring to? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Which, if that's okay, you know, I'll, hey, I'll, I'll own that. I'll own that. That's okay. But uh, let's start this one off. Honestly, we see a whole bunch of dollar signs. Let's start this one off here. News yesterday broke that the NFL salary cap for 2024 went up $30 million, which is like, I think it's unprecedented, and is now at $255 million plus, which means the Chargers, who are strapped for cash, are now just, I say just, just $22 million over the cap. Now, if you rewind like three weeks, guys and girls, we were talking charges were like $50 million plus over the cap. Now, that's like effective numbers. That's including the draft. That's including in-season acquisitions and stuff like that. Or I think it was including um, roster minimums. But a few short weeks... Stuff happening with Corey Lindsley restructuring and the salary cap. And all of a sudden, 22 million is not much. 22 million, in theory, could be literally one guy of the big four that goes. Or at this point, none of the big four with a couple of restructures and some of the other players who could possibly go. I cannot overstate how insanely impactful this is for this Chargers team. Now, should they keep all four? Different conversation. But the amount of wiggle room and the size of the sandbox that this team now has to play in, money-wise, just got bigger. It makes it a lot more interesting, Dan, as it relates to, again, available cap space that we know as of right now is hovering. If you take away the money for the draft picks, it's what, about $22 million? as far as what the Chargers are, are currently at right now. And yeah, this gives you a little bit more flexibility. So, you know, when we've been on this show talking about what we expect, especially out of those big four contracts between Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, there's a, I don't want to necessarily say a increased possibility because obviously the Chargers in terms of trade value and what we know from Joe Ortiz wanting to get comp picks, it still is a very big possibility that the Chargers could move off of some of those. But in terms of the financial hit for yourself, it does make it a little bit more easy to navigate. Now, it's funny when you look at this, Dan, because this remaining cap space, essentially the bulk of it now comes from the dead money that you still have from the J.C. Jackson deal the money that's still there from the Sebastian Joseph Day deal. And in this circumstance, because of the relief in cap, when we've talked about how many holes the Chargers have, ha have to fill as it relates to this roster, 
It also eases things up in that circumstance. So when we're talking about literally everything besides the quarterback, and we were just talking about the defensive line and the edge group earlier this week and talking about the priorities that the Chargers may have to put on that, we talked about the possibility, hypothetically, that Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa may not be on this roster during that episode and where you'd have to restart with Thule. And if we listen to some of the comments made by Jesse Minter, he's talking about all three of the edge players. Um, Joey Bosa, as, as Dan tweeted out, kind of even alluded to that he expects to be back with this team next year when he was sitting there talking a bit about the pistachio, wherever you'd want to hear that type of news, definitely at the pistachio eating contest. That's where everybody wants to hear those type of signs, but it does free up things a little bit more for the Chargers. So whether or not we're talking about a Mike Williams or a Khalil Mack or a Joey Bosa or an Eric Kendricks that keep going down the line, this opens up avenues in a variety of different ways. So they're still in the weeds right now as it relates to getting under the cap and things that they need to do over the next couple of weeks. But in terms of possibilities, we've already talked about how many possibilities this Chargers team has by the time we get to April. This just opens it up that much more. 100%. And there's a bunch of comments in here about kind of the impact of the salary cap change and the impact of the possible top four players. So I went through some of those while you were chatting. Jay Richard, always look forward to these live shows. I've seen a few podcasts that showed Bosa is immovable this season. Thoughts? Well, in short, I think the only player that is immovable based on conversations that we've seen and heard from this staff are Derwin and Justin. Those are the only players, in my opinion, that we know for a fact are not going anywhere. Anyone else? Fair game. Blah. Rashawn Slater. Thule. I mean, I'm just saying in theory. These four guys, Mac, well, and I guess Keenan Allen as well. All right, so there's a bunch of guys who are not going anywhere. I was waiting for you to catch yourself on that. Yeah. But specifically, Mac, Bosa, Mike Williams, I don't think all three of those guys, I don't think any of them are 100% safe. And sure, there's dead cap associated with all of them. I don't think that matters. And with a new regime, I think it's probably smart where if you're wanting to instill your own identity, your own vision, your own like imprints on the franchise, it's better to do it sooner rather than later. I don't think Bosa is immovable. Is it likely that he leaves? I don't know. Honestly, it's probably 50-50. It's probably more likely today because of the salary cap increase. But there are arguments to be had about all three of them being gone. You can save $40 million in 2024 cap space getting rid of Mac and Bosa. Another 20 with Mike Williams. That's $60 million. Plus, you add in guys like Eric Kendricks, possibly. You look at guys like Morgan Fox, and there's... Money to be had. And imagine a new regime coming in. Yeah, you rip the Band-Aid. You get some of these guys out here. You clear a bunch of cap space. And then, oh, by the way, you have like $80 million to play with to make your own. That's not the worst strategy. Plus, you get picks in return for some of them, most likely. So, no, I don't think that Bosa is immovable. I don't think that Mac is, is unmovable. But I do think that because of the cap increase, there's more of a likelihood that they're able to stay if they want them to. So Jake, I guess maybe the question for you in this is, do you think this means one more of them stays? It's a possibility. I think the, the biggest issue, if we, if we want to centralize this to Bosa, Dan, 
is availability. I think that's one of the biggest reasons in terms of just overall conversations outside of the financial realm that we've been talking about is that's been the issue. For Joey Bosa at that particular price tag and the fact that of his availability over the last two years has not been ideal. It's you, you need more. Uh, you need more of that, and especially out of an edge room that is now aging or rattled with injuries. And when you have now an up and comer in Thule that you want to try to build around, you need a more reliable piece on the opposite side. So with Joey, it's not so much been as much with the financials as that the availability and and the production is not living up to it. So those have been more of the reasons why you could seemingly see the Chargers to move off of that. Now with Kaleo Mack, it's, it's kind of the opposite. It's Now you have the aging edge player who brought great production <laughs> late in his career last year, which I wouldn't mind seeing with the Chargers. But even so, let's just talk about this for a second. Whether it's Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, however many of them stay, you have to figure that they're only going to be remaining with this team for at least one more year. One or two, probably, yeah. At, at, at max. So you're going to be just kicking that can down the down the line a little bit more. You're going to have to start thinking of the future in terms of retooling, especially at the wide receiver position. Edge is a big one that you're going to have to start getting younger, faster. You're going to have to find that next guy that you're going to pair with Thule for the long term. So these are some interesting decisions to make. Now, yes. The increase in cap levies a little bit as it relates to the financial circumstance that you're in, but there are a lot of elements here outside of just the financials in terms of just saying because hey, would any would anybody not want you know those four back if you were to guarantee that they could come back and be productive and healthy in 2024? Absolutely, no question about it. But you do have those risks, and you do look at some of theirs as it relates to trade value and what we know from Joe Hortiz in terms of building up draft capital residually over several years, there's a lot of decisions to be made there. So they still have to get out of the red as it relates to the salary cap. So I still do not see a situation where all four of them are going to return. I still think that this is going to be one where at least out of Mike Williams, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, I still think two of those players are not on this roster next year, unfortunately. But this is the position that the Chargers are in. This is the position that they put themselves in a few years ago in terms of restructuring, a few years ago when they had all that salary cap room. And unfortunately, those moves that they made just didn't end up panning out. So this is how you have to get on, out from under it with a new regime. Yeah, um, we're going to, we always do this. If you guys do donate to the cause, we will always put this up towards the top. Charlie Sinclair, friend of the show, who honestly was so fun. Great follow for all things Jim Harbaugh. He was like, I mean, his thumb must have been so sore from scrolling on Twitter and checking all those news articles. Uh, great dude. Charlie Sinclair asks, who helps more? We we're going to talk about this later. So I love the fact that he brought this up. But Charlie Sinclair asks, Jake, you're going to like this one. Who helps more? This Lee Tabers <laughs> or Brock Bowers? This is like, huh. in a Almost way, like trying to... we knew this was coming. Almost like we knew this was coming. This is like, in a way, try to just like light a fuse between Dan and I because anybody who's been watching this show knows the dynamic in terms of Mortal who Dan Kombat. favors higher. Yeah, exactly. And who I favor higher. Now, we love both players. And when you're talking about who adds more to this team, 
I know what Dan's going to say about Malik Neighbors, and he's 100% right. And in terms of what you look at the when you look at the room for both the wide receiver and the tight end position, I mean, it's scarce. It's terrifying to think of if the Chargers don't invest in either position, what it could look like after the 2024 season. For me, I've always leaned to, to Brock Bauer just because I think he is that type of dynamic tight end that comes around, you know, that you don't see every day from the tight end spot. And when we've talked about those tight ends that, that, playoff teams had that can make those tough plays, a la the Kelseys, the George Kittles, who a lot of people believe that Brock Bauer's overall draft profile fits better with, the Mark Andrews of the world. Justin Herbert hasn't had that since his rookie year in Hunter Henry. And as dynamic of a player as Brock Bowers is, and it's interesting just to see, again, here's like another wave of where his draft stock is kind of going, because for the longest time, People believed, okay, it was he was a top 10 pick, but it was a little bit further back. But now that it's the Chargers selecting at five, it makes a lot of sense for him to be there. Now his draft stock, some people have him out of the top 10 for where he could fall just based on what they're hearing and what could possibly happen in terms of trade downs and people moving up and maybe not so much prioritizing that tight end spot. I still think in terms of what Brock Bowers brings to the game for what he can help out with, blocking, being the dynamic weapon, that he could be. I don't want just want to call him a tight end because he doesn't move like that. He doesn't catch like that. He is much more than just a tight end. So I get the whole Kyle Pitts value comparison. He fell into an unfortunate situation where the team that drafted him didn't even use him. So I don't even think that that's a fair comparison in that circumstance. But Brock Bowers to me, I think is just such a dynamic weapon for this offense that Justin Herbert has not had. And I'm going to shut up now because I didn't want to say anything as it relates to Malik Neighbors, even though I love Malik Neighbors, but I'm going to leave that all to Dan. No, Jake does not like Malik Neighbors. Because Jake <laughs> likes Block Bowers, that means he hates Malik Neighbors. Oh, yes, of course. That's what that means. Um, again, for the record, I think both of these would be great additions to the Los Angeles Chargers and both bring things that this team desperately needs. So for being honest, both are great picks. Both of them in charged uniforms would be epically great for Justin Herbert and this offense for different reasons. And I don't need to get into this entirely because we've done this a few times, but the question was asked, so we'll answer. Malik Neighbors is just different, man. He is just different. I was talking back in December about my you love were- for Malik Neighbors. I was talking about them being 1A, 1B to me. That one is not better than the other. They are just different. One is more of like the bigger, physical, polished receiver in Marvin Harrison Jr. The other is the more explosive, freak, game-breaking talent. Yards after catch machine. And if you want to go one step further, Malik Neighbors versus Marvin Harrison Jr., just for that for a second, Malik Neighbors versus Marvin Harrison Jr. Faster, more explosive. This past season, Malik Neighbors had more yards, more yards after the catch, a better contested catch percentage, better reception percentage and drop percentage with the same number of touchdowns, and a better receiving grade, and the same blocking grade as Marvin Harrison Jr. Is his Does his last name... Sound like Harrison, former NFL player? No. 
I do think that there is some bump. I'm not saying Marvin Harrison is bad. Again, Marvin Harrison Jr. is generationally good. I agree. Different. To me, this conversation of Bowers versus Malik Neighbors comes down to what style of offense do we, they, he, want? Do the Chargers want to have like that explosive over-the-top air raid type offense? With that weapon that can go over the top and give easy touchdowns to Justin Herbert? Or do they want to have that more physical, in-line, move down the field efficiently, help with the run game, kind of death by a thousand cuts type from of offense? We, from what we heard lately, it's the second one. And so... As much as I want Malik Neighbors for Justin Herbert specifically, because he has not had that guy. He has not had that guy. He's had a tight end. I'm not saying the tight end is as good as Brock Bowers. He's had tight end productivity. I'm not saying as much as Brock Bowers. He has not had explosiveness ever as a Chargers player. Malik Neighbors, in my opinion, the most explosive player in this draft, and it's not even close. NFL.com has him has the best prospect in the entire draft. He's my favorite wide receiver since Jamar Chase. If it's me and it's my offense, even in a Greg Roman offense, if I can get Malik Neighbors for five years, I'm going Malik Neighbors 10 out of 10 times. Am I going to be pissed if they bring Brock Bowers? No, of course not. Am I going to be a little like, Oh, it stings a little bit if they do if they go Brock Bowers over Malik Neighbors. Probably, I'll be honest. But again, if we're talking trade down scenarios, which is very likely at five, the one who's probably going to still be there with a trade down will be Brock Bowers and another receiver in Roma Dunze. That's probably where I think the conversation gets more spicy. Jake, we'll get there another time. But Brock Bowers versus Roma Dunze, I think, is where you'll see probably more of a split. I think right now, if you took a poll, I don't know. It's probably 70-30 Malik Neighbors over Brock Bowers. But if you did Brock Bowers, Roma Dunze, I guess 55-45. Would you agree? Yeah. Uh, no, I would, I, would, I would agree with that. So thank you again, Charlie, for the donation. Let's get back to our regularly scheduled program, Jake. Um, so we talked about the salary cap before we get to all of that. Let's pay the bills. Let's talk about our friends. Want to let everybody know about our friends over at underdog fantasy, the easiest way to get all into all of these sports action out there. It's underdog fantasy and their pick em game. Just pick higher or lower on your favorite or least favorite players. And you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Just pick between two and five players to fill out your pick entry. Get every pick right and take home some cold, hard cash. Use the promo code UNLEASHED and get your first deposit doubled up by $500 by Underdog. Go on over to Underdog Fantasy today and let them know Chargers Unleashed sent you. Someone who's looking to be unleashed again. Effectively. Appropriately. Oof by Jesse Minter, is a one Derwin James. And for folks who have not seen, there's a bunch of beat writers. Shout out to Chris Rim. Shout out to Daniel Popper, uh, Eric Smith. A bunch of people were able to give us insight into the conversations they had with 
offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, defensive coordinator, Jesse Minter, and special teams coordinator, Ryan Ficken. Really, really, really interesting. And in my opinion, I think providing hope to Chargers fans, some of the conversations that were had. So let's kind of get into these. And again, we'll go through the comments and bring them in as we go. Uh, Jake, I'll kind of throw this to you first. Jesse Minter, what were some of the kind of the key takeaways or things that you heard from him that either were surprising, alarming, or exciting? There was nothing alarming about it, number one. There's nothing alarming about it. Yeah. I'll say I'll say one thing that was refreshing. And this is not from a standpoint of I think it was more in the standpoint of what you had from the last regime. Because hearing Jesse Minter talk in this interview and kind of just breaking everything down from an X's and O's factor and talking about specific players in that regard, you didn't really get that type of opportunity with Brandon Staley because while Brandon Staley was talking about things in a much more broader perspective, obviously he was also the defensive coordinator, but you still had Derek Ansley and the things that he was bringing to the table. And in in a way you couldn't really just pinpoint to say like, okay, this is what the plan needs to be. This is what we're going to go out and do. And Jesse Minter, obviously, he's still working through a bunch of things as it relates to personnel. And ultimately, when this roster is finalized, come training camp, what it's going to look like. But you could clearly understand the mission that he has for this defense as a whole, what he wants to bring to it, getting into the whole X's and O's factor, specifically what he brought up about Derwin James. I mean, talk about refreshing. He understands from the get-go that having Derwin James not have to do so much <laughs> is a plus for him playing closer to the line, being able to mix in coverages, eliminate tight ends, which we always believed that that was what Derwin James's, you know, crown was for himself, that he could just take those tight ends away. It's amazing when you have one player that could just do that, whether it's a shutdown corner, or in this case, Derwin James, that you could say, you know what, if this is your safety valve, we're going to take him away. And it's apropos that, Dan has this picture up of Derwin James right now as it stands on the screen. But that's what Jesse Minter understands about Derwin. He is that dynamic type of a player. And essentially, we haven't seen Derwin be Derwin since, I don't know what you would say, Dan. It's been a number of years since we've seen that Derwin. And so Jesse Minter... Consistently, yes, yes. I agree. So Jesse Minter, for what he did in Michigan and... You know, when you pair that with with Clink Scale coming over now as well as as coaching the secondary, I'm so excited about the potential of what they're going to be able to create with this defense, and especially with Derwin James as a centerpiece of that. Third try, says Matt Waters. Five dollar donation, Matt. Thank you. Uh, so many comments in here. Can't get to all of them as fast as people might like, but we brought this in because again, we said if you bring the money, it get rises, it gets risen to the top. We'll get back to the Derwin James thing here in a second. On Guilty as Charged, shout out to Guilty as Charged. The chat kept talking about which Ferrari they wanted for the first car when we all know that Harbaugh Ortiz trade back for an F-250. Now, don't tell the people that they'd be trading back for that they're just an F-250 versus the Ferrari, first off. Because <laughs> there's a lot of Ferraris and BMWs and Bentleys and... Porsches and stuff after they don't all come in the same, same, you know, shape or size, but they could still be a Ferrari. So I guess it depends on what the definition of an F 250 is here. Are we talking like, it's like a 
a bigger player, Bulldozer. like trenches type player? Okay. Are we talking like Ferraris cost 200K, F250s cost 40? Because I don't know where we're going. But in this discussion, it goes both ways. While the Chargers absolutely could use the blue chip player of a Malik Neighbors or of a Roma Dunze or of a Marvin Harrison Jr. or of a Brock Bowers or insert guys. They also have so many freaking holes that it's not about always picking the best players, but it's about filling in a roster with the right players for this team. And there's an argument. Would you rather have Malik Neighbors or would you rather have, I don't know, Brock Bowers plus a center in round two? Or is this and, the offensive lineman conversation at, at five? Yeah. Coming or do you go, it, it maybe it maybe it's this, but it says trade back for an F-250. Mm-hmm. So while Malik Neighbors sounds amazing, and I would be jumping through the roof if they got Malik Neighbors, it's equally as enticing to then bring in Brock Bowers in a center that is so desperately needed as of right now. Or if they want to go get Brock Bowers and like a stud corner. So it's yes. We know that this chargers team builds through the trend or is prioritizing the trenches and building physicality, which we'll talk about here in a second with Greg Roman as well. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to prioritize it in which position they draft at which time. Like, there are so many times, free agency, trade, which draft pick, do they trade down, trade up? There's so many areas in which they can prioritize this stuff. Prioritizing, in my mind, means they're going to make sure that it happens. It doesn't mean I'm going to draft offensive tackle one, I'm then going to draft a center number two, then I'm going to draft a Interior defensive line number three, then an edge four, and then I'm going to wait for the scraps for corner, wide receiver, and linebacker. Like that's just not how it works. So I understand that people want say they prioritize it, but that doesn't always mean literally going round one. So I hope that answers the question. But I would expect a few F two fifties to be drafted if that's what you're asking. Totally fine with that. <laughs> Please, there's a please. there's a number of F250s that would be great for this team that you could draft and be productive. Yeah, and again, I don't know. F250s are great. You got a couple people in here that drive F250s. <laughs> Matt says, "Hey, a new F250 can cost Ferrari money, but it plows snow." Very true. Very true. Um so, back to Jesse Minter. Uh I I think with Derwin James and it's it's unfortunate because like he's so talented and Jesse Mister talks about this. Like you get so intrigued and you get so tricked into the idea of and we saw this with Brandon Staley in the past regime where they just put him everywhere because he's so good. And that proved to be detrimental to Derwin James and his defense. And Jesse Minter, it almost was as if like he knew what happened in the past and was like talking to Chargers fans who had been bitching. Sounds about like it. someone who's watched tape. It's important to keep Derwin effective and how to keep him effective is to keep him comfortable and keep him close to the line and not necessarily do everything in one game, but you can deploy him game to game depending on matchups. So instead of seeing Derwin do five roles in one game, imagine Derwin doing five roles in five games, one role each or maybe one or two. 
that's what Jesse Minter was talking about. I think that really resonated with me because when you have a player of that caliber, it almost felt like it was wasted because he was doing so many things. And so many things, transition. Jesse Minter talked about this idea of like concept teaching, which I thought was really insightful into kind of what this team wants to be able to do in his mind. And like in his, in his mind, Jesse Minter's, like he wants to instill these concepts where he talked and Daniel Popper talked about this really, really well, but instill these concepts with the players to where they understand what the opposing offensive strengths and weaknesses are. They understand what the strengths and weaknesses of their own defensive coverages. So then they can start to get in the mind of the opposing team and say, okay, well, they know that we're going to be in cover two. So if we're in cover two, they're probably going to want to go to this area. And so then you can then disguise concepts to make them think that you're going to do one thing and then you're ready for the other. And then on top of that, I thought that was the fun part was the disguise where it's like, you're not necessarily teaching these players how to disguise what they're doing. You kind of let them express that themselves based on their understanding of the concept. You're not teaching them how to disguise. You're teaching them concepts and then letting them use their God-given talent and smarts to do it themselves. So, for example, you see Kyle Van Noy do this all the time, which I think he's so good at this, where he'll kind of line up close to the line of scrimmage. Again, cerebral player. he let him close to the line of scrimmage. And then he'll kind of like turn around as if he's going to go back and he comes back in. He wasn't taught that. Like, that's just something that he thought, hey, you know what? This is going to work. Jesse Minter, I think, is bringing a lot of smarts to this, but is also not going to go too far too soon. And so he kind of talked about once they understand conceptually what they're doing and he sees that they have it down they can then kind of increase more and more of the, the complexities of the defense. But he's going to go as fast or as slow as the players on the roster dictate. He's not going to go too quickly. I thought that was really, really interesting. I thought it was important. I thought it also gives players the opportunity to kind of express their abilities in ways that they want to versus having to kind of conform to what the coaching concepts are. I found that very refreshing as well, Dan. And Daniel Popper had alluded to it kind of as the, the flip side of that coin as far as what took place in the previous regime in terms of it almost being, and you wouldn't have thought about this, especially with it being Brandon Staley's third year last year. But, you know, we had talked about, we felt that there was some discourse in the locker room. And according to what Daniel Popper had wrote in terms of the overall concepts and simplifying things for the defense, namely the secondary or the linebackers or whatever it was, there were requests to simplify it in a circumstance that what Jesse Minter is going into. And apparently those requests were not necessarily answered. So in this particular case with Jesse Minter and his comments here, this is what gets you excited about this Chargers defense, because Jesse Minter also goes on to basically say that he never wants to overextend a player's abilities. He wants to maximize their abilities for what they're good at, 
but not necessarily asking them to go out and do things that they're incapable of doing or putting them in bad position, positions because it's going to look exotic or try to come up with a million different co- coverages. It sounds like it's more simplified from a standpoint of elevating everybody's play. And when you do that, you can go out and have a defense that's cohesive, that knows what it is that they want to be, that's going to have an identity of what it's going to be able to do to an opposing offense. And ultimately, that's going to be the difference between winning and losing games. Yeah. Another part that Jesse Minter talked about that I thought was refreshing to me was the idea of kind of this toughness and physicality that this Chargers team wants, not just on defense, but the entire roster. And he kind of talked about, and I thought this was kind of fascinating, the 50-50 component where 50% of football on the defensive side is what you play. And then the other 50% is how you play it and how you play. And on one side, it's like he talked, Popper talked about this. You, you have the, the X's and the O's. And on the other side, you have like play style and nuance and flavor and flair. And while we hear a lot about kind of like how Jesse Minter teaches and kind of the, the pillars that he goes by, I, I think from his, for his side of things, it's more about making sure that the players that he has understands the concepts and can express themselves in their physicality the way that they want to. And I just don't think we saw that as much as we probably would have thought that we would have with Brandon Staley. And the thing that's kind of odd is Brandon Staley's defense and Jesse Minter's defense and Mike McDonald's defense, they're not that different. Again, it's not. it's more about how they teach it and how they implement it than it is about what it is. And so a lot of this is kind of nuance. And I think it seems like it's more of a teaching style and teaching efficacy that we're hoping to see. And with Jesse Minter, I think that is something that Chargers fans are probably super pumped about. The other part that I thought was, and again, this kind of goes into the topic that we saw today with the pistachio stuff with Joey Bosa is Mentor was talked to was talking about kind of the edge rushers and was asked about, you know, he, he it's above his pay grade. He was asked about the edge rushing that they have. And he said, I love to have those three and he can't dictate who they keep, but it's a unique situation at the rain to have three edge rushers of this caliber, which I would agree. Although I'd also ask how often all three of those guys were on the fields or available, which I think y'all know the answer to that. Right. But his emphasis on the edge rushers kind of makes you wonder, maybe he is pushing. Maybe they are trying to keep all three. But the part that's hard for me with this, Jake, is like, I don't know, man. This team now under Jim Harbaugh, like everything is so tight-lipped. Everything is all done behind the scenes and everything has a poker face. And so much like the Jim Harbaugh decision to leave Michigan and all of that and how he was in all those press conferences and not saying anything and diverting all of it. I wouldn't be surprised if we hear one thing about Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack and all these guys wanting to stay and they're going to be great players, great assets for the team. And bam, next morning they're gone. Yes. Yes. Because it's a business, and that's how that's kind of how it goes, especially with Jim Harbaugh and company. 
this is like the quintessential coach answer. Like, I would love to have all three of them. <laughs> like, so would anybody else. Healthy, productive, could guarantee me 17 weeks of an NFL season? Absolutely. And it's not a knock as far as that them as players or what they've done recently in terms of production. It's a very fair statement for a coach in Jesse Minter's position to say that. But to Dan's point, even GMs say quotes like this all the time. He's our quarterback one for now. <laughs> it's like you can kind of read between the lines like, okay, so the door's open for there to be another player to come in and be quarterback one. It happens all the time. So between now and April, you know, this is peak lying season, essentially, when it comes to yep. draft reports, rumors. You're going to see guys' stock start you know, rising because another team wants to elevate it so that they can get that possible player or have another player or have another team trade up for it. You know, some diversity, some smoke screens. This is peak season for that. As a standpoint in terms of players goes, yeah, this makes sense for Jesse Minter to say this. But in terms of what's ultimately going to make this defense most productive, given the body of work that we've seen from these three in just what? short few games that they were on the field together. Yeah, I, I would say that the Chargers are going to end up going in another direction. I think so. And again, like we're going back to like the alternative. Like, yeah, those three are great. But I said this on the last show. Khalil Mack, I think it's like 23 million-ish that they can save if they were to cut, trade, release, whatever it was, not on the team. Joey Bosa, similarly. Effective cap for 2024. Think about how many players they can bring in either through trade down or through free agency with 20 plus million dollars of cap space. Again, cap space. There's all kinds of roster bonuses and things they can do to kind of push things around. But cap space. Look at how much money Thule makes compared to Joey Bosa and Cleo Mack. It's like literally a tenth of it. You could do a whole lot. I'm not saying Joey Bosa is a bad player or Khalil Mack. They're great players. But there is something to be said about quantity and quality versus just quality that you wonder if they're going to be on the team, on the field, on the roster. Like, it, There is an argument to be had, and I know it. It's just, it's just tough, man. It's just tough. And people talk about like the dead cap. I get it. Like We knew this was coming at some point. They pushed all of their chips in last year. It didn't work out. I understand the guaranteed money. I know the dead cap. I get it. But at some point, you just sometimes just rip it. Whatever. Look what the Broncos are doing. I'm not saying that it was smart business. But at some point, you just got to do it. And then you can move forward. It's behind you. Similar to the J.C. Jackson thing. The J.C. Jackson trade was brutal. And they're still paying the benefits, literally. They're paying the. It's like twenty-four million in dead cap that they're still paying Stupid. for. Stupid, horrible. But you got to do it. You got to do it at some point. Any off on Jesse Minter before we move on to Greg Roman? No, I thought it was a very insightful piece that Daniel Popper wrote, just to kind of get into the weeds as far as what, even at this stage, where we're talking about, you know, the guys haven't even taken a snap yet. This team's not even finalized, and you still get a broad overview of what Jesse Minter wants to bring to this team. Greg Roman, and I know a lot of Chargers fans are still kind of... Still fuming. 
filtering through <laughs> their feelings about him. Imagine Justin Herbert with a run game. His quote. I, I mean, I would it seem in theory it sounds wonderful. <laughs> I liked Benjamin Solak's retort to that. Is like, man, I want to imagine Justin Herbert with a passing game first. <laughs> <laughs> Which look, I was like, yeah, actually, yeah, give me Malik Neighbors sidebar. But Greg Roman, we know what he is about. And he is about establishing an identity and physicality. And damn it, he is going to run the ball. There is no question about it. But I love the way he kind of talked about what it takes to run the ball. And they not just be able to say, it. you got to actually go out there and do it. And you got to put your money where your mouth is. You got to call plays and give players like the confidence that you believe in them to do it. And you got to continue and stay with it. And I think a lot of times, and I heard, I forget who it was, but there was a player that used to play for Jim Harbaugh. And he had talked about how there was one time where Jim Harbaugh decided he just wanted to run some run play, some power style play, just so that way they can let their offensive lineman eat. And just so they can blow up the defensive lineman. That was it. That was the only reason why they did it, was to basically let their guys have some fun and get into it. Greg Roman kind of has that same identity, it seems like, where he understands the importance of a run game, not just in the first quarter, but in the fourth quarter. And kind of keep putting that money in the piggy bank to where you can actually pay dividends in the end. And so I, I thought Greg Roman, in my opinion, kind of gave a lot of insight that helped me understand kind of the why behind it. Like he obviously talks about wanting a, a balanced identity, but he talks about strong and powerful. These were his words. And dictating what the defense can do. And this is a quote from him. If you really talk about the most, about mo if you talk to most defensive coordinators, excuse me, in this league, got them off to the side. When they're playing a really good running team, they're sweating a little bit. They're sleeping a little less that week. So I think it's in our favor to be able to have a balanced attack. They want to beef up the run game. They want a balanced offense. They want to run it when they want to run it. They want to pass it. They want to pass it. And then also, I think they also want to run it when people think they're going to pass it and pass it when they think they're going to run it. But what I took from this, Jake, that I thought was refreshing was that this Chargers team so often, so often these past few years, they needed that yard or two. They ran that running play and they got absolutely bulldozed. And how many times did we see this Chargers team not convert? First and 10 turns into second 11, second and nine. Third and one turns into fourth and one. Fourth and inches turnover and downs. They could not get the yard. And I know they wanted to be tough and rugged, but they just weren't. And so they had to kind of, at some point, scrap it. Put it on Justin Herbert's shoulders. And the ball just kept snowballing over and over and over and then we're all criticizing justin herbert when he doesn't convert these hero plays and it's just unfair greg roman is looking to fix that greg roman seems to be the guy that will do nothing to stop short until <laughs> they get the run game figured out 
that's the exciting part about this, Dan. I guess the, the only piece is like, okay, well, who's going to be touting the rock <laughs> in this new offense is, is kind of the bigger question. But back to your point about Greg Roman, I mean, when you have to, when you're essentially behind the sticks on seemingly every single down situation, it is so much easier for defenses to plan for you. When they know you can't run the ball and they're not afraid of you running the ball and they're not afraid of your offense having mixed concepts or thinking about what they're going to have to do on certain downs, and they could put you in third and eight and longer in every single scenario and easily drop six or seven in coverage every single time, the opposing offense is not going to have a good time out there on the field. So (laughs) I totally get Greg Roman's idea for this. And it sounds so simple. And when you look at the two previous stints that he's had it as an offensive coordinator, Baltimore, they were a top three rushing attack during his time there. Previously under Jim Harbaugh in San Francisco, it was the same situation. I think for what he, Andy Bischoff, um, and Mike Delvin are going to have to collectively do along that offensive line and tight ends because you definitely need to get some assistance in the run blocking and that's circumstance as well. Delvin's going to be big. big. Yeah, be big. you got a big chore in your hands. And again, we don't know who RB1 is going to be that's going to be bursting through some of these holes, hopefully. But that's essentially what the Chargers need to get back to. Get it back to if you need a, a third and five, and you could be daring enough to run the ball because you know you can. That's like a Detroit Lions mentality. They don't care. They're going to run it down your throat, and they're confident enough that they're going to be able to convert. When you can do that and take some relief off Justin Herbert... Look, as great as Justin Herbert is, you don't need him to do everything. If it means winning games at the end of the day, who cares? Honestly, when you hear him talking about a balanced game and having an identity, physical, that was, we just have not seen it since Justin Herbert has been drafted, period. I would love to see what that would look like. There's some comments in here. I'm see if I can find it, but there's comments about like, would you rather have Justin Herbert? Here it is. We'd rather have Herbert throwing 300 plus yards, three TDs and a loss or 150, a touchdown and a win. Now that's a bit extreme. I think 150 and a touchdown is a little low for what this team is looking for, but you take the win all day. And so the theme here holds water. Yes, I would love for Justin Herbert to have MVP numbers, which I still think he could have under Greg Roman. But if it meant sacrificing 15% of his throwing numbers to giving him a breather for a sec and letting him hand the ball off and actually gain four yards consistently, all day, all day I'm doing that. Like, not even a question. Now, can they do it? Will they do it? We thought Kellen Moore was the guy to do it. And we saw it week one. We were so excited. And then, like, the floor fell out. And then it was, like, historically bad the rest of the season. So I don't know if it's going to be... And this is one thing that we haven't really talked about much here. Like, the sheer volume of coaches and influences and brain trust that are now on this Chargers team, I think is good. Some people argue maybe it's too many cooks in the kitchen. On game days... I don't think you're going to have 30 coaches all going crazy and all going in the earpiece of Jim Harbaugh and company. But throughout the week, throughout the offseason, coming up with ideas, coming up with ways to get into the heads of their players, 
coming up with concepts and schemes and collaborating with each other to get the most out of this team and play design. That's, I think, where the brain trust helps, where you can bounce ideas off of each other. Having a balanced identity on offense should be so welcomed by Chargers fans. And I understand the tempered expectations because of what Greg Roman has looked like in the past or what his offenses has looked like. But look at some of the guys that have come in on the staff. They're not going to just like let Greg Roman do his thing and like just hope that it works. Like that's just not a reality. Jake, another donation. Again, we got to bump it. And this is a fun one. This is Jake's bread and butter right now. Mm. Anthony Bennett, $5 donation. Thank you so much. I'm comfortable trading Bosa away, trading our first pick back into the teens. Talk about it. And getting Leatu Latu, which we are going to see live and in color next week at the Combine. Jake, the floor is yours. I mean, this is the beauty part about the situation that the Chargers are in. Not just with having the fifth overall pick, but now the fact that you have this new regime. And on top of that, I guess the positive way to look at it when you have so many different holes is that you can go so many different directions. And when trading down at five seems more like a possibility as the weeks passed, Latu would just be such a great pickup if the Chargers were to trade back and they were to make that decision, especially if this comes after, you know, one or two or both of Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa have moved on and you want to build your edge room up with uh, with Thule moving forward. The combination of Latu and Thule, just conceptualize that just for a second. I know that there's going to be questions about Latu when it comes to the medical stuff. But what he put out this this final year for him at UCLA, Dan and I were going over this during our show. The stats are eerily similar when it reminds you of what Thule put up during his final season at USC before he came out in the draft. And just talking about two guys potentially that you could pair with one another that just have a relentless tenacity, an unstoppable motor, always pursuing to the football. Having two guys like that coming off the edge would just be a terror. Now, obviously, you have to build up in some other places, but you trade down to the teens, obviously, you're going to get a haul if you're going from five to the teens. Yep. And if you, if you were to tell me that your first overall pick while acquiring a load behind that, and you're going to start it off with a guy like Latu coming into this draft, count me in. I, I will take that all day. I, I, I will gladly give up my Brock Bowers card for a situation like that. Honestly, because you have to keep your mind open for these possibilities, especially in this year. In this situation, you cannot pigeonhole yourself into one player. I know we all have our favorites and dream scenarios as far as what could potentially happen. But isn't it weird how we haven't seen this regime pick one time yet, Dan? But we know seemingly every single year for 10 years of what we could expect from Tom Telesco. Not necessarily saying that the pick was going to be terrible, but that there most likely was not going to be a trade down, even if it made sense for the Chargers to do so. <laughs> water to, was wet. Water was wet. Chargers were either going to stick and pick or they are going to trade up. Exactly. Was it. It, was, it was just, you, you knew what was going to happen. Yep. So in this particular case, with Joe Hortiz now at the helm and Jim Harbaugh knowing the team that he wants to put together, the, the possibilities are endless. Now, obviously, you need another team to execute a trade. That's always true for any trade that happens. But, damn, you want to start getting good, better, faster on defense and addressing the trenches, which is what 
Harbaugh and Jesse Minter like to collectively do. I would love this scenario if this was the case. Smooth transition. We now get to talk about everyone's, I think, favorite and probably most pertinent discussions, I think. All things NFL draft and all things free agency. So again, bring your comments, topics in here. This will be the kind of last major topic. We'll do some Q&A at the end, and then we'll kind of head out of here. I appreciate everyone in here for all the comments and stuff. They're going crazy today. This is awesome. Uh, if you have not already done so, hit that like and subscribe button on YouTube. Helps us out a ton. Jake, a lot of people, we talked about kind of the physicality with Greg Roman, the running game. A lot of people talking about favorite running backs in this class. Talk about Gus Edwards as possible free agent. Questions in here about Saquon versus Josh Jacobs. Let's start this one. Favorite running backs. We're going to see a bunch of them at the Combine. <laughs> it's again, th this running back class is so different than recent years past. Because, first of all, you know that one in this draft is not going to be selected in the first round. So, when does the running back conversation really get started with this group? And the consensus is all over the board as far as who who they believe that their top running back is. There is, is no it, consensus. Is it is it Braylon Allen out of Wisconsin? Is it jo is it Jonathan Brooks out of Texas? It, if he hadn't got injured, that may have helped matters in terms of having a consensus top pick in this draft. Obviously, a lot of people have their love for Blake Corum, and the Michigan connections make sense. Um, you know, Trey Benson out of Florida State, that's another one. Bucky Irving, who I think would be a great fit for this team out of Oregon. Audric Estime, who was another one for the, for this team that I think would make a lot of sense. Now, here's where it just gets Marshawn interesting. Marshawn Lloyd. Marshawn Lloyd. Marshawn Lloyd, you have to make that connection now as well. But here's where it gets interesting is that, and I brought this up, because for this year, you're going to need a complement of running backs to make this running game go. Joshua Kelly, Austin Eckler, I don't think that any of us expect them to end up returning to this roster next year. So that leaves you with Isaiah Spiller. You still have Elijah Dotson, who was an undrafted free agent last year. But how is this whole running game going to shake up? And the best way to do it, in my opinion, for 2024 is you go out and you sign a veteran presence at running back to come in to be your RB1 at a low price tag. And you complement that with one of these running backs. Now, again, I say it's interesting because essentially through the Tom Telesco era of drafting running backs, it was all from day three. And either some of them weren't used at all or they ended up being swing and miss picks, or they just didn't end up panning out. So you think about, even in recent years, Dan, you go from Isaiah Spiller to Joshua Kelly to Larry Roundtree. I mean, he did those in consecutive drafts. They were all day three running backs, and none of them ended up panning out. Isaiah Spiller is still a question mark up to this point. We really still don't know what he is because he's never gotten a full opportunity to do so. So... Are you telling me that you're going to try to hitch your wagon yet again to one of these other day three potentially running backs that you're hoping is going to pan out than the previous three that were on this roster? Not saying that it can't happen. Not saying that these dudes do not have talent. Not saying that I don't like them at all. But I wouldn't necessarily say that outside of maybe one or two that you're going to have supreme confidence that if you were just to move forward into next year's season with saying, yeah, one of these guys is going to come in and be RB1. I'd pump the brakes on that a little bit. That's why it has to be a compliment uh, running back by committee in this circumstance. Unless, Joseph Martini asks, would you guys prefer if the Chargers clear money, if they do, Saquon Barkley or Josh Jacobs? And it, So, again, set the precedent here. It, 
I know how important physicality in the running game is, all that stuff is to this Chargers team. But we've been sitting here talking about the cap situation. Again, it's not hell. Like, they're fine. But fine to where they could spend $10 million plus on a running back? I don't know if they're there. Now, I know the running back position is kind of a weird one. Maybe they can get one at a, at a bargain, quote-unquote. But in my opinion, like, I don't... Do you think they're going to spend, like, I don't know, $8 million a year on a running back? I just... I mean, maybe. Again, we have no clue. Maybe. Who knows? But that's rich compared considering what this team is up against right now. And so, but to answer the question, Jake, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs. I'm with I you 100% lean, on this. I I, Josh Jacobs, I think, if I had, if I was going to be able to pick one. I mean, if you if you if this was what you were limiting my choices to, I yeah, I would probably say Jacobs. But just in the grandest scheme of things, we all saw how bad the free agent running back market was in terms of financially, and them getting their contracts was last year. It's going to be even worse this year. I'm going to be just interested to see what the financial ceiling for running backs is going to be this year. I have zero idea on what that's going to look like. All I know is it's not going to be better than than last year. And so in terms of what you've seen other teams invest in contractually to running backs, it's tough. It's tough. The whole narrative along the running back scenario and how much they are undervalued in this team is a problem within itself. But like Dan said, yes, the Chargers are not in cap hell. But if you're telling me that you're going to give that type of a contract to Barkley or Jacobs, where else are you taking that money from that you could have spent it elsewhere? So one of the big name free agent running backs, I just don't see that as as a productive possibility. And again, like we're talking about, like, not again, they're not making as much as Mac or Bosa or Keenan, but. Let's say I think the average annual value for Saquon, I think, is 10 million. We talked about how many holes this Chargers roster has right now. And even the people said, Oh, you have to go. No, I saw comments talking about you have to go number five overall because you got to get Justin Herbert, his weapon, and get the receiver, whatever. Need I remind you, this Chargers team has holes at running back. You don't have a fullback. So I don't even know if that's an eighth, a thing, but maybe. Probably receiver. Your starting tight end right now is Donald Parham Jr. You are wondering who's going to snap the ball at center because currently it's nobody. Your guard play is average. You don't know who your defensive ends are going to be. Your interior defensive line could do some could need some help. Your linebackers currently are Dayon Henley and I'll oh, see the other guy's name. I forget his name. Um. 31, Nick Neiman. Your corners need help drastically. Jesse Minter is like, please. And we don't know what's going on with Lohi Gilman, but behind him is JT Woods. Yeah, Derwin James, JT Woods. And I forget the other guy's name. There's one more. Not great. Not great. That's a lot of freaking number of positions they got to figure out. And so I say all this to say, $10 $10 million? You know how many low-budget, quality players they can bring on to this team with $10 million? That's probably three or four good ones. Think about the contracts like Morgan Fox right now, Kyle Van Noy, Bryce Callahan, players like that 
that are glue guys to a roster that they could bring in with $10 million. I'm not saying it would be a bad thing to bring in Josh Jacobs, but like AJ Finley. Thank you. Louser Bruin. That's the one I was thinking. There's a lot of ways to do this. So running backs, pump to see running backs. Marshall Lloyd, I was watching a little bit last night, Jake, or two nights ago. I know he has fumble concern, which I do think can be taught out. That's a technique thing, usually. He has like the feet and like the the one step in the vision. Yep. That reminds me he's not the same archetype in terms of like the body type, but he plays kind of like Reggie Bush did at USC. And so him would be fun. Other positions. Jesse Mentor, they talked about this in the chat here. Jesse Mentor needs corner secondary in general. Good Lord. Help. <laughs> what are you go- I mean, what are you going to do? Help me. Help me, all, says Jesse All Mentor. that talk about Derwin James was great and all, but then, yeah, look at the the supporting cast that's around him. I mean, dear that, Lord. It's like that, that meme of like the, like the three-headed dragon, and you got the one guy who looks all nice and strong. Yeah, let's do it by like positions. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> right now, all the Chargers positions would be like the goofy ones. <laughs> Yes. There wouldn't really be one that looks mean outside of your quarterback. Yes. So what do you think that they are doing for the draft for agency wise? Like a lot of people talked about here. Why was not Bryce Callahan brought in last year? Which makes you wonder why he wasn't added by any team. Which That's I thought was kind of interesting. But yeah, I wanted Bryce Callahan back on the team. He was so good for this team. They probably, to your point, they probably do this by committee. They probably go through free agency and they probably go through the draft multiple times to help with the secondary because the secondary last year was terrible. Like, terrible. <laughs> Who are some guys, like, at five, were you taking one? Would you do it? No. No, you don't take one at five. Te- at get, eight? You- eight? I don't even think that it's for, for a corner. I don't think the conversation's quite there yet. Maybe ten, maybe around ten makes makes the most sense. Now, again, depending on what takes place between now and April, draft stocks could obviously significantly rise. I still think, in terms of like that eight territory, you're talking more of your pass rushers at that point in time. But right about ten, I think, is when the conversation for corner really starts heating up. And there's there's a lot of guys especially in the top end corners of this team that would just fit instantaneously with Jesse Minter's defense. Terry on Arnold, Nate Wiggins, two guys that I really love in this draft. Quinion Mitchell, who I have loved watching since December and thought about as a possibility for the Chargers to come back around in the second round to take and think that, that, hey, that's a great solution. You get your offensive playmaker in the first. You could swing back around in the second. You could take a guy like Quinion Mitchell. You could start building from there. And then, of course, he just has to go out and blow up the senior bowl and elevate his draft spot. That was stock. fun. That was fun. Quinion, we were, well, Quinion we were, Mitchell. We were talking about him, and we were like, dude, why is this guy? Like, this guy's good. Why is Quinion like, Mitchell oh, okay, sense. <laughs> arguably has the best instincts of any corner in this class um and and you move down from there dan i know that you know cooley mckitsey's draft stock has kind of been all over the place from where it was back in december is so good i like kool-aid man i think just in terms of what you need opposite of asante samuel jr 
that's I think the biggest difference. And they might if we're talking to. about this whole physical balance, high IQ, you need someone to supplant what you had in Michael Davis. And I'm talking 2023 Michael Davis because 2022 Michael Davis was actually pretty damn good. And Dan and I talked about this as well. Asante Samuel Jr. was the highest priority at corner that the Chargers had put um, in drafting one since Jason Verrett. They have not adequately put enough insurance, say, to build that part of the roster up in a very long time. And then you look at a couple years ago, you draft Jasir Taylor and Dean Leonard in the same draft. There's nothing there that tells you that those players are going to be a part of your future. This was kind of the reason why a lot of people were surprised that the Chargers decided to move on with Bryce Callahan because Jasir Taylor, if I remember correctly, it was the Miami game that Jasir Taylor had to come in yeah. and step up and that he actually had a he very did. nice debut for himself. And I think things kind of built from there. And I think that Jasir Taylor has made it very clear that he is a great special teams player. That's been evident for what he's been able to do. And but he, you look at the, yeah. yes, but you look at that and you're like, is this the secondary that we're going to build? And we're not even talking safety at this point. That's that's a whole nother issue. Who are you going to pair next to Derwin James? Just talking about corner in general. I mean, would the Chargers possibly move on from Jasir Taylor in favor of a guy like Mike Sandra still? <laughs> I mean, Jesse Minter would like that. Klinkscale would like that. Harbaugh would like that. I'm sure a lot of people would like that because that dude is a slot machine. So corner in general, I think, A, is, is a loaded group. I think it's a very good group if you're looking to go out and draft a corner this year. But I definitely think that the Chargers have to put a high priority in terms of where they end up selecting one, whether it be the first, second. I said on our show earlier this week, I think that by the time that day two ends, the Chargers will have invested in a cornerback at that point in time, regardless of whatever these other positions that we want to talk about. I think you have to get a corner in, in the first two days. Yeah. It's, well, hell, especially if they trade down, you could guarantee it. Um, a couple of their names. Enos Rickstraw. His name's flying Love up. Love Enos Rickstraw. Yep. Uh, you have you mentioned Kool-Aid McKistry. The Kamari Lasser out of Georgia. I like him a lot as well. Max Melton. Trevor Sikkim was on our show, and he mentioned he was one guy that's not getting nearly enough buzz. So look forward to that. There, there's probably... like. This corner, I can't think of a cornerback class that had this many guys that are like, dude, this guy's good. And up until like two weeks ago, like there was no bona fide CB1. You know, you think back to the like Derek Stingley or the Witherspoon or the Sauce Garner type. As we get going, we're creeping closer and closer to the draft. Like that stuff's coming out now. One topic here that was brought up that I'm glad it was linebacker group. It seems like over the past few years, the linebacker group has kind of been phased out on this roster and the importance of it has kind of been phased away into the darkness, if you will. But you go look at Baltimore (laughs) and you look at what Michigan does and you look at what Harbaugh's, team has done your linebacker position might get beefed up a bit and whether that is by roster whether that's by coaching and play style or priority it's going to be more utilized now i think the days of having just one linebacker on the field 
you're not going to see as many of those in this new era. And again, that goes back to like, okay, well, are you comfortable with Dayon Henley and Nick Neiman? Are, are you good with those two? Are you bringing K9 back on that contract? Another hole that has to get filled. <laughs> Navar Bowman's, uh, Bowman's like, yeah, let's go. I mean, <laughs> great higher side conversation, obviously. But I know the linebacker, and I think for obvious reasons, Dan, it's fitting that that's the last of our positional group that we have yet to break down. <laughs> because literally, I mean, you talk about the biggest question mark. Much like it is with center, you really don't know who's going to man that position. And I say it's the biggest question mark because Dayon Henley did not get enough of a playing opportunity next year. It's very likely that Eric Kendricks is not coming back. Kenneth Murray started the season hot through through you know those first few weeks, and then it kind of fizzled again. And then you're you're seeing the Kenneth Murray that we had seen for the three previous years. And to Dan's point, do you bring him back for a second contract? Is has he played his worth to earn a second contract? I mean, that answer is no. Yes. Well, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the second contract no. will be. Right, but I, in general, I would say yeah. to live up to a, a first round clearly, pick no, that he not. was no. And then what you started the conversation off with, linebacker has not been a priority for this team in terms of the organization for a long time. When you think of the guys who have come through and actually played well, uh, <laughs> they, they haven't been prioritized. And you haven't you know, reinforced that position enough, much like it has been with other positions. And Dan, you're kind of in a catch-22 because... This linebacker class, as it relates to the draft, is not so strong. So where is that going to, A, prioritize where you're going to do it if you choose to go that route in the draft? Or in terms of free agency, you're obviously not going to be able to spend big for one of those guys. So you're going to have to... I think that's maybe another one where you double dip, Dan. And you're going to have to hope for the best because coaching is then going to really have to have its value as it relates to that position. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to uh, a Chargers fan on Twitter this morning about this, actually. And it was kind of a fun one. And we're just talking like generally about the, the combine and, and the draft and uh, shout out to John, by the way, it was fun. And Jake, you and I talked about this a little bit, but in years past, like when the Chargers are drafting, you know, in the middle, let's say 15 to 20, 13 to 20, whatever it is, you're like a lot of times, like the mentality of going into the draft and the combine was kind of like split. A part of you was wanting like these guys to ball out, right? Because you want to see who the Chargers could possibly get. But then you're also like wanting them to not and you want them to kind of stay under the radar. You want yep. some guys to fall. So the charges could possibly like, can they actually fall on charges? Right now, like we were talking about this the other ep- on the last episode. Like, I want to see five quarterbacks go crazy. I want to see eighteen wide receivers go. How about it? I want everyone to be a star because I want everyone to want to trade up with us to get their guy. And if we don't, we can p- actually pick one of those that don't need a lot of help in order for it to happen. And so, like, the mindset going into this covering the Chargers is very different this year at five than it is at 15 because you don't really need help anymore 
for you to get your guy. At this point, I think the only guy that you may need help to get, there's probably, actually no, there's probably two guys that you may need somewhat of a help, but it's most likely one. And it's neighbors and Harrison. Essentially, if three quarterbacks go, you're getting one regardless. If two quarterbacks go, you might not be able to get one. But then you trade back because you got a quarterback needy team that desperately wants to bit, pick at number five to get ahead of the Giants and everyone else. Chargers are kind of sitting pretty right now. Like, it's kind of a win-win for them. Either they get their bona fide blue chip player, or they have ammunition for folks to want to trade up. And so Chargers fans can kind of just, like, sit back and watch. And just, like, be excited. You want every one of these guys to be playing. I'm glad you brought this up, Dan, because you and I were talking specifically, and I truly believe that this is one thing that the Chargers fan base should get behind, especially as we head into the combine next week, because I'm not sure if you caught Daniel Daniel Jeremiah's press scrum that he did talking about the combine next week and talking about press conferences. It was kind of a two-part. There was a Giants representative that had basically asked in a hypothetical trade, if the Giants wanted to trade up with the New England Patriots, what would it cost? And then when it came around to the Chargers and talking about possible trade-down scenarios at five, his answer was basically this. The Chargers would love to have one of those quarterbacks in that second tier, a la the J.J. McCarthy's, the Bo Nix, the Michael Penix, really elevate their draft stock between now and April 25th. Mm-hmm. That would be the ideal scenario because when you start thinking about it now, okay, the, oh, yeah. the, the teams that are behind you that need quarterbacks then maybe don't want to have to wait, you, know, you start thinking about Minnesota at 11. You obviously have I – mean, even, even if from the Denver Broncos and Raiders possibly needing a quarterback, I just don't see an interdivision trade happening. You throw in the Atlanta Falcons. This all, of course, depends on where Justin Fields is going to end up landing. But you have to hope that those three, that someone out of those three ends up coming out of there really smelling like roses and elevating their draft stock. If you can get up to that point where the Chargers are picking at five or hypothetically three quarterbacks are already gone by that point in time, you can make some noise as far as when you could possibly trade back. So everybody, as far as the Chargers fans, should be rooting for J.J. McCarthy, Bo Nix, and Michael Penix next week between now and April 25th in terms of elevating their draft stock. So it's going to be able to help them out and possibly just creating more draft capital and possibilities for themselves. Yes. Jay Richer 84 you're the best. Appreciate you. $5 donation. Thank you guys for taking my question in the comments. Looking forward to more off-season content from Chargers Unleashed. We will be here. Don't you worry, Jay Richard. We're not going anywhere. Uh, thank you. DZ, Jake. McCarthy's second coming of Joe Montana. <laughs> yeah, look, the, the best part about this was not it's so fitting because this just shows you how much support Jim Harbaugh has for his guy. We remember even before the national championship game, how much Jim Harbaugh loves JJ McCarthy. And then when everybody was talking, was clowning him. Remember everyone was clowning him about it. And now it's like, and everybody was talking about like, look, if the, if Harbaugh somehow ended up going to the Raiders, were the Raiders going to select JJ McCarthy at at their pick overall? Like when was it going to happen? And even still, since Harbaugh has been hired by the chargers, He's doubled down on his belief in J.J. McCarthy. I mean, he's used that phrase, the best quarterback (laughs) in football. He's used that. But simply since then, that has been like the match that has lit this train of fire of buzz that has come behind J.J. McCarthy, where now you're hearing 
other reporters talking about it, that other GMs in the league have a much higher grade than what people believe that J.J. McCarthy would be worth. And this is the best part about it, Dan, and I forgot to mention this a second ago. Can you get a team desperate enough because apparently the quarterbacks in next year's draft are not strong? So who's going to be desperate enough to take that swing to bet on one of those second-tier quarterbacks out of those three? And if you're going to bet on one, and I, I was just looking at stats today of J.J. McCarthy versus the rest of the quarterbacks in like third and clutch positions, situations, better than all of them. Like there's an argument to be had about J.J. McCarthy. He's probably the one that is, in my opinion, I think is going to be the one that, of that second tier that gets picked first. So if they can go and get May, Williams, Daniels, and J.J. McCarthy. And hell, with Joe Hortiz, man, trade down to eight. J.J. McCarthy's still there. F it. Hit that trade, trade button again. Trade it again. Give me five first. Give me five top 100 players to draft in this year. Sign me up. Sign me up. Go get Brian Thomas at 11. Sure. Terry Arnold. Sure. Latham. Fine. I got five more to choose from. This is fantastic. So, Give me all of them. I'm like Oprah here in tra- with draft decks here. <laughs> you, 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 you get a pick. You, you, you in the back. You. <laughs> like that's what's fun about this now is the chart. Like I think that's what's also exciting for me. That's like we have no clue. This is like a fresh, clean slate. Doesn't it feel good? Yeah, like it's just like ah, like we don't know. We don't know what this offense is going to look like. We don't know what the roster is going to look like. We don't know what the philosophy is going to be like on the sidelines. I want to know like what Justin Herbert and Jim Harbaugh's like pregame ritual is going to look like if they have one. Like we don't know how they draft. We don't know what they're going to look like. There is no precedence here on this team with this roster, with this core group. And so we're all kind of along for the ride. It's damn fun, dude. Like I don't remember last time where it was this just like, Let's go. Like I don't care. <laughs> like choose your own adventure type book. Dan, I think it's also telling when you can hear Matt Money Smith just rattle off all the things that the Chargers need and every single scenario that could possibly play out for him. But then he finishes with, "I have so much confidence in this organization to do the right thing." Ah, goosebumps. We just we just transitioned from a GM that was here for for ten years, and. Did any did did any of us actually have that mentality? And now Matt Money Smith is talking about a first-time GM that has not selected for the Chargers in this draft at all. And that's how much confidence he's got because he's done it from a winning organization where they have collectively prioritized that. They have built up residual draft capital to do so. And the results have speak, spoken for themselves. All right, we got about maybe three to five more minutes left. Last topic. And again, if you have any questions, we'll try to go rapid fire here until we get to 10.30 Pacific at the latest. One thing we can't do is draft a left tackle to play right tackle. Now, I will say one thing we can't do is do that at five, (laughs) specifically. But if they accumulate capital... And they want to do that with a second round player or a late first round player. Okay. You're playing with house money. 
But to put that on a number five overall pick and to put that uncertainty and choose that over some of the other blue chip players that'd be available, like that just seems stupid. There's always something, isn't there? There's always that that one thing. <laughs> Man, that would suck. No, it doesn't, it doesn't seem practical. Like Again, this is not knocking the talents of Joe of Alt or Fashanu or anything of that sort. But especially if you st- if you stick and pick at five, you're essentially playing paying left tackle money to a right tackle, which financially is not the most practical thing in the world. And truly, again, with all the decisions that the Chargers have to make to get out of their cap situation. You have Trey Pipkins, who's one year into a new three-year deal. This would be a second year into that. I think I personally think that this team would be confident enough in running it back with him just for this year. If this was the final year of Trey Pipkins' contract, this whole conversation about Joe Alt and Fashana would make a lot more sense. Totally. A lot more sense. And I totally understand the reasons why anybody would want to move off of Pipkins. This past year for him was not good. 2022 was better when he earned that second contract for himself. He needs to get back to a form of that. And again, the Chargers have to get better collectively at blocking in general, but that's part of what it is. And I think just from a financial standpoint, where the Chargers are at and with all the other holes that you have to fill, I could see a lot bigger ones right now than switching out for a right tackle. Yep. Again. Oh, by the way, I think it's like nine point something million on the books regardless. So you got a lot of money invested in that right tackle already. Uh, okay, last one. As we go through, these are all rapid-fire questions. Jake, let's go real fast here. Uh, Laos de Bruin asks, would you re-sign Everett or Henry if ours isn't the pick? I really like what Gerald Everett did last year. I really did. I thought whatever it was that he took <laughs> prior to games, he didn't see the ball that much on a consistent basis. But when he got the ball, the first guy was not able to bring him down. He was either plowing through him or making the guy miss or whatever it was. And I really liked what I saw from Gerald Everett. And this was kind of, this has been the problem with this tight end. Well, it's been one of the problems with this tight end group over the last three years, even going through Kellen Moore and Joe Lombardi. The tight ends just were not featured as much as we all believed that we were going to see them be. Mm-hmm. And that was an issue for that. And I, I like the idea of Hunter Henry coming back, you know, especially you'd probably get him at a much lower contract than you would have when the Chargers let him go and what he signed with New England for. And yes, there's some familiarity there with Justin Herbert. And that was the last time that he really had some nice tight end production in during Justin Herbert's rookie year. But, you know, if, if I had to make a choice right now, what it makes the most sense, I'd probably say Gerald Everett. I would just hope that the new coaching regime chooses to use him more. But in terms of what you need from blocking, that's the biggest issue. That's the problem problem because you're still not fixing that issue that has plagued this tight end room for years. Yep. Jake, who's your pick? Every player is still available just for fun. Oh God. Who's your pick? Are we talking about no no trades? This is five. five. Everyone that you would want is there. So essentially you're picking number one. Who are you picking? This is, this is, I mean, this is, every player is still there. Every player is still there. So then you're giving me the option of Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
go through the skill players. Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, Brock Bowers, that's still it for me, probably in that order too. And the difference between Marvin Harrison and Malik Neighbors ain't that far apart. Because to Dan's point, and again, I move this off of what I know from this coaching regime. Last year, what you could have said was the Chargers need an explosive playmaker, which that would have led to Malik Neighbors all damn day. Over it's Marvin what, Harrison. Again, over yes. Marvin Harrison. Yes. I, that was It was the same belief that I had when I wanted the Chargers to take Zay Flowers last year because of that aspect that he brought to the game. He brought those type of explosive plays. Now, not nearly to the same degree as what Malik Neighbors does, but it would be in that same type of discussion. So if it were me, I probably would say that, especially Ohio State, Jim Harbaugh, very familiar <laughs> with, <laughs> with what Marvin Harrison does. Yeah, I would say that if, if I had the choice, all players were on the board, you'd have to say Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah, if it was me and the style of offense that I would want to run and it was my offense, I'm probably going to pick neighbors and I'll live with that. If I'm looking at this Chargers roster and the coaching staff and the style of play and all that jazz, who I think they would pick, Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, but then it's, then it's league neighbors to me and it's not close. Like- Leave it to the great Trevor Sekima. Just a couple, like what, maybe two weeks ago or a week ago, he was just on the PFF podcast and he was just saying that, you know, threw that little nugget out there to say, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't land on the Chargers. It just like <laughs> went off on a nine minute tangent explaining exactly what could happen and how that possibility could end up playing out. And you just think to yourself, damn you, Matt Prater. <laughs> Damn it. Ah, damn you. (laughs) Look, so lots of exciting times. We went through a whole bunch here. We talked about the coaching coordinators. We talked about kind of the key takeaways there, the salary cap impact and the increase of dollars that are going into the pockets of this Chargers team and any NFL team. Talked about the draft, the combine, things look forward to, situations. Shout out to everyone who donated all the questions and comments and discussion points here. Fantastic. We always love doing these live shows. Obviously, we'll be doing more moving forward. Again, we've kind of teased it a little bit. These next few weeks are going to be cray-cray for Charges Unleashed. We are so excited. We have guest on guest on guest. We're stacking bricks, and we're so excited to have some of these episodes coming out to you. Jake, anything else? I want to tell the great friends before we jump on out here for the weekend. I'm so stoked for next week. Honestly, I cannot wait for it to get here. I know... You know, people can over over evaluate the combine as much as they want, and I totally get it. The film speaks better to that for prospects than the the combine does. But just to see all these guys out there, and we're talking about dudes that are six foot five, three hundred plus pounds, running these type of drills, seeing their fluidity. You know, people want to call it the underwear Olympics. I get all that, fine, what have you. But I love this part of the year. You know, everybody talks about the draft starts at the Senior Bowl, which it does. But when you get to this point. And you get to see all these guys go out there and test. It just really makes people like us, draft evaluators, go out and revisit some tape to just say, hmm, that was a pretty nice testing day. I needed to go back and reevaluate him because this is just all the primer for April 25th. And I love it. For Jake Hafter, you can find him at Jake D. Hafter and myself at Dan W. Sports. Guys, gals, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the time with friends and family. Have some fun. Enjoy the weather if it's great there. If it's not, pretend you're somewhere else. That's nice. Uh, Next week, Combine starts. We'll have you all settled in for that. Yes, Lousa Bruin. 
isn't speaking Jim Harbaugh, but is speaking Hortiz Tuesday, 10 a.m. Yep, tweeted that earlier this week. Or uh, Thursday, was it Thursday at 10 a.m.? Tuesday, Tuesday at 10. It's Tuesday at 10? <laughs> Tuesday See, at 10. Shows how much I pay attention to this schedule. That little H in the middle of that word. <laughs> God, just got away from me. <laughs> uh, but until next week, uh, we will talk to you next time on Chargers Unleashed. Thank <laughs> you.